Hello Poet Podcast is produced in Nam on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, whose sovereignty was never ceded. I'd like to pay my respects to Wurundjeri elders past and present. This episode was recorded in Mianjin on the lands of the Turbul and Yagara peoples, and I'd also like to pay my respects to Turbul and Yagara elders past and present. Hello, listener, and welcome to this first ever episode of Hello Poet. I'm your host, Terri-Anne Kwan Singh. In this episode, I speak to Brisbane-based poet Shastra Dio, whose visceral and haunting debut collection, The Agonist, won the Thomas Shapcott Prize for Poetry, among other awards. In this episode, we talk bodies, haunting, nuclear semiotics, glossaries, Wilfred Owen, Goro Majima, gaming, persona poems, teaching poetry, and hating having to explain poems. Shastra reads four of her poems. All four, uh, you can find them online, and you can find links to all of those on Shastra's website, which is shastradio.com. And they'll also be linked in the show notes. And although we do speak at length, about not wanting to give explanations as to what a poem is about, I will let listeners know one piece of context. Goro Majima is a character in the Yakuza video game series by Sega. Okay, dear listener, I think that's all you need to know, and I hope you enjoy this first episode of Hello Poet. I begin by asking Shastra to give a blurb for the agonist. Enjoy. I think my stock standard blurb is uh, the agonist came out of my honors mm-hmm. uh, thesis, so it had a very it had a very set research question, yeah. which was uh, what happens to the self when the body is dismembered. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a lot of people have said it's a really cohesive first collection, and I think that's the reason because mm-hmm. all more or less all the poems are trying to answer that question Mm -hmm. so yeah for me it's really about the body and memory and how we really embody memory how memory lives inside us Mm -hmm. and I guess I'm I came at the collection thinking a lot about phantom limb pain and sensation which I've always found very interesting in Mm -hmm. that you kind of don't need to have a body to feel a body yeah but I I am also really interested in those um stories you hear around organ transfers where people receive an organ transplant Mm -hmm. and then suddenly have a new fear or memory or something that Mm -hmm. magically seems associated with the organ and I'm sure often that's confirmation bias but just (laughs) I yeah I love those sorts of stories and I kind of believe it as well that you know that memory can live in the organs and the muscles yeah and in the muscles definitely but yeah so I think that's and that's something I've tried to move away from in my more recent work because it's right. kind of like oh you've you've done that Shastra you can stop now <laughs> but I I can't stop I yeah think it's always, I think it's always going to be the thing for me yeah so, yeah, yeah. And that real like visceral kind of language and um visceral but then you've also got those kind of latin um, medical words yeah which, yeah yeah anyway I just I love, I love yeah. the specificity of medical Latin mm-hmm. like where you can take a body apart 
and say that's where you know in that muscle in that organ in that particular section of the organ I just I love the language Mm -hmm. of medicine Mm -hmm. and I I guess I I know it can be really divisive because Mm -hmm. it kind of presumes a certain amount of knowledge but it's not like I had any of of that knowledge when (laughs) I you know started writing the poem like I'm very much a person who be on Google and Wikipedia and just looking things up as yeah. I'm writing. So yeah, yeah, totally. And I at the end there's kind of like it's not a glossary, but you've yeah. got the notes on the pod. Oh, I hate that note section. Oh, do you? <laughs> yeah. oh, I was so interested to hear because like, I was reading it. I was like rereading this last night and mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, like, but then like what I wondered about the process of writing that because what words are you going to define and what yeah. origins for the poem are you going to tell stories about and like you know obviously the whole I guess it's also when you're doing a reading talking about flattening a text mm-hmm. you know to say oh this this poem is about this thing yes. but then a poem is really something that is in excess you know like you want the the words to have be multifaceted and to kind of you know have this excess that can go out in all different directions exactly that, yeah so then to then define it at the end um yeah I was wondering what what that process was yeah for you um my publisher wanted all the medical terms defined which mm. I completely understood mm-hmm. and agreed with um I just <laughs> because I use so many of them the yeah. notes section at the back is very hefty which I'm yeah. kind of unhappy about but it wasn't yeah you know it kind of I kind of love it too though because it's kind of like a poem in itself like Mm -hmm. especially if you read a collection of poetry you're kind of in a zone of of reading like I just um I I think you two have just finished this semester of teaching Mm -hmm. um and a lot of well the the course that I was teaching was very novel heavy but I used poems throughout my lectures to um kind of like get students in a kind of way of reading that could be a bit more relaxed because with poetry you kind of you have to just kind of give in to that um that you're not gonna kind of capture the meaning of every word so then with the more experimental novels that we were reading I just encourage students to just like imagine that you're reading a poem Mm -hmm. you don't have to grasp every part of it and um you know it's not an instruction manual yeah which I think that you're also experimenting with in some of your work now but Mm -hmm. um yeah that you don't have to grasp it just kind of go with even the rhythms of the sounds and those sorts of things so it's a different way of reading definitely yeah Yeah. it was a really with teaching Mm. I've been um involved in we've just started a creative writing course for second year medical students at the University of Queensland which is very exciting and the students are just some of the best people I've ever engaged with which is it's uh it's It's just been a really like such a it's such a wonderful experience yeah teaching I feel like it's transformed me like in a way I just feel like it's such a gift yeah that I couldn't have known what that would be like before I started teaching definitely yes and I think it's taking on what these particular students bring mm. as well I just wanted to sit down with them and say oh tell me all the medical yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah but with that yeah using poetry and just yeah. saying like 
what is what experience is this giving you like yeah. how do you feel in your body when mm-hmm. you read this when yeah. you listen to it yeah. um which i think is the easiest and also most appropriate way yeah. to approach poetry yeah um so for me that's why sometimes the word definitions don't matter like mm-hmm. you're saying it's yeah. just letting it wash over you and it's like mm-hmm. how does that word work through your body when you hear it how yeah. does it you know affect your breathing yeah how does it affect what you can do with your mouth when you experience it so yeah yeah I guess I'm I'm kind of on the fence about what I'll do with the next book if I'm mm. going to rely on that you know definition note section I'm very much a reader who'll go and google something if I don't yeah, know what it is and I won't yeah. you know I tend to do that before I'll go look at the back for yeah. any sort of glossary or note mm. section um but I know that not everyone yeah <laughs> is like that um yeah. so it's kind of and I guess with the poems in this so many of them are fandom inspired yeah and um, that I I kind of know that yeah but then um I don't know that that was in the glossary no I was very I hate explication and I hate that yeah Yeah. standing up when you're reading a poem and saying this poem is about like I I just don't I don't like doing it if I had my way I would just kind of stand and read (laughs) and leave yeah um which doesn't doesn't work and you you can't you just simply can't do it that way in a you know public speaking situation yeah but then yeah but then it's I guess the speaker of the poem, of hopefully this can just be disseminated to everybody. Yeah. But like the speaker of the poem is not the poet. Like yeah, there's a there's a relation, mm-hmm. but <laughs> and that but is like like so important. Definitely. Yeah. So it's so then people reading the poem like, oh wow, your your mother like that road trip. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Every time, every oh, really? time I that get one? asked about the road yes. trip. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah, that I was reading that poem last night <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, so intense. But then I was like, because I know that you work mostly in persona poems, like mm. almost completely in work with persona. And um, yeah, I was wondering if people would yeah ask you about that one. Yeah, pretty much. That's probably the one I get asked really? about the most. And I, you kind of just want to say yes. <laughs> like, you yeah, like, <laughs> just yeah <laughs> you don't want to break the illusion sometimes <laughs> yeah um yeah there was a road trip mm-hmm. uh we did not dispose of anything yeah <laughs> I'm very environmentally friendly and I would never throw garbage bags in a river yeah um so you, there's always a bit of truth in something yeah. I guess you have to flesh out yeah you know even when you're working in persona you end up fleshing things out with of course what you see, what you experience, how you move your own body through the world. Mm. Uh, but, yeah, so often, most, like, 98% of the time, I'm just imagining situations. Yeah. And I think with me, because I write, or I used to write short fiction as yeah, well, yeah. and I really preferred working with third person mm-hmm. in short fiction. I've never been a short story writer who can use I in that way. I just mm. don't have a good handle on it. So something about poetry in the eye was really freeing mm. for me in terms of my practice and how that ended up working and I'm not entirely sure what that is. I actually haven't <laughs> thought about it until right this moment when yeah. I started speaking so I should probably stop speaking <laughs> because I don't really have an opinion and maybe I should form one on that but it's yeah something there's something different with the poem that let me yeah. use the eye yeah in, yeah in that way so 
Um, maybe we should read that po- the infamous. Yeah, <laughs> of course. I don't know if you know where it is. Um, I, you're probably I think you're, I can you're familiar it. with this, <laughs> this one. I think. Road trip. In the summer of 1995, my mother and I took a road trip, followed the Murray River all the way up to Echuca. Our lives were bundled up in garbage bags, weighing down the trunk and at the start, the tiny hatchback could barely make it up the hills. The engine was as ragged as my mother's breathing. Every 20 kilometers we'd stop and she'd throw a bag into the river. We would watch it, long enough to make sure it would sink, then drive on, lighter and lighter. I don't remember the trip back, but I imagine it must have been like the drive past the Red Gum Wharf. The windows down, freshwater wind soaking my hair. The engine was thrumming and I felt as though I could outrun anything. Love it. Thank you. Thank you. Um, oh, it looks <laughs> so good. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I can see why people would ask you <laughs> about that one. It's so, like, you know, you're just, like, really there. And I guess it is a really, yeah. like, quite a vivid memory. Yeah, I can remember yeah. the drive. Um, I don't know if we were going in that particular direction. Yeah. There wasn't a wharf. I made the wharf up. Mm. I have a, I don't know. I really like wharves and it's docks. Really, and now that you're saying, it's such a good word. Yeah, yeah. Know. The sound it's of it good, is yeah. really nice. I'm. You can probably tell from the Agnes, but I really like kind of the the legend of the fisherman and that sort of yeah. aesthetic. And yeah. I guess I've always been trying to work that stuff into my own poetry. I was yeah. really. When I was writing this collection, I was really obsessed with the TV show Hannibal. Oh, great. And, yeah. <laughs> and Will Graham in that is a fly fisherman mm-hmm. and uh, repairs boat motors and just lives in this weird area in Virginia and has like eight dogs. And I, I just, something yeah. about that aesthetic really appealed to me. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I ended up writing a lot of that imagery, yeah. I think, into my work. Yeah. I haven't seen it, mm-hmm. but... I think I know what the basic premise is. Yeah. And just, I love that, um, the, the kind of, the joy of like the, the entrails and the viscera and that kind of feeling, um, that I think permeates this uh, this collection. Um, I wanted to ask you about this word, Mm -hmm. haruspicy. Yeah. Is that what it is? Mm -hmm. Haruspicy. Um, reading omens in the entrails of animal sacrifices. Yes. Um, and I, um, so just thinking about the agonist as a kind of a dissection and a, and a divination, um, yeah, I don't know if this is a question, but it, it just reminded me of the word read I learned recently has, um, like in the etymology of it, Mm. read is actually refers to entrails oh I so, didn't know that yeah so in I think it's old English but that yeah. read actually comes from that so I think that it's actually tied to that pro- that practice of haruspicy mm-hmm. of um divining things from entrails so you're reading the entrails and then actual reading like 
words or literature it it has like a an etymological like root together yeah i thought that was really interesting oh you've i'll probably given me a gift today (laughs) that's brilliant Um, yeah i'll send you i'll like i'll just take a photo of like the page and text it to you yeah please do yeah, yeah yeah i thought that was a really interesting connection i wondered yeah um yeah but what was i gonna say oh i guess yeah. Can I come back to that yes, idea do. of yeah, <laughs> prophecy? And mm-hmm. I, yeah, I guess so much of the work I've, I'm doing is kind of reading the past in the yeah. entrails, but yeah. there's this feeling to me with time and how the past is almost a thing yet to come. Like, yeah. And a thing yeah. that we relive and redo mm-hmm. <laughs> again and again and mm-hmm. again. And I know, I think I'm trying to say time is a flat circle to quote some (laughs) true detective, but it's, yeah, I guess that idea of prophecy and how everything has already been Mm. done, like Mm -hmm. there's nothing new almost in a way. And Yeah. yeah, I think it's that idea of the relationship between past future and Mm. prophecy and I guess the inevitability of prophecy as well Mm -hmm. you know you what can you change like if can you change the past in that way if you change Mm. the value of a body if you change how it's scarred do you lose something of what has happened Mm. to that body Mm -hmm. in what can be read you know on the inscriptive surface I'm not sure but Mm. it's um yeah it's an interesting thing to think about yeah I wanted to talk about time Mm -hmm. um in your work um so the agonist kind of is I mean haunting I'd love to talk about (laughs) haunting (laughs) but the agonist is kind of haunted in the sense of memory so thinking about the past and then with your new work um that you're looking at nuclear semiotics that the problem of that and a poetics of warning warning is kind of like the future is haunting us yeah so yeah I just kind of see that that kind of shift um yeah but maybe we should move to your new new stuff that you're working on yeah so Maybe you could just introduce, like, what is the nuclear semiotics problem? What is yeah. that issue? It's so fascinating. So it, so basically we split the atom. Yeah. And by doing so, Oh, we... wait, what's the issue with this? <laughs> <laughs> like, it's totally cool. <laughs> and, you know, in the process of creating the most dangerous yeah. weapons on the planet, we wow. also split the human concept of time. Mm-hmm. So some of the... The radioactive byproducts of nuclear technology have this life that's just beyond human comprehension. Mm. Um, I think one of the strands of depleted uranium will be dangerous for about 4.5 billion years, which is the same amount of time the planet has existed so far. Yeah. So there's a lot of nuclear waste in the world, and this can come from, you know, medical technology, Mm. just from nuclear technology in general. Um, and we don't have too much. I think we have low and mid-level waste here in Australia. Mm. Uh, not too much high level. The United States has a lot of high level nuclear waste mm. in the country. The issue is, okay, we have to dispose of it in some way. Let's mm. bury it, put it in some salt deposits. But then 
how do we warn people that it's here when the waste is going to be dangerous for such a long period of time? Yeah. So you consider language like English is what? 800 years old maybe a thousand at most and that's considering like Beowulf (laughs) and old (laughs) English as English English, which is pretty incomprehensible to most of us if we look at that and you think about things like the pyramids which had all these warning messages on them that yeah. was like oh enter my tomb and i will curse you and yeah. we entered the tomb yeah it's like <laughs> oh it's like that's what makes it interesting yeah, sounds to fake <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, <laughs> yeah i recently went to the um the terracotta warriors exhibition yeah at, in melbourne and yeah i'm just like who's getting cursed like who just robbed some grave mm-hmm. and moved this stuff here and yeah it's a similar thing like they they made eight thousand terracotta warriors to yeah. say Stay the hell Stay out of away. here. Yeah, and, and we, then it's like we went in. Well, there's yeah. there's a tomb somewhere in China, is it that is there's lead there? Right. Yeah. Right. So you can't enter. Well, no one has attempted to mm. enter it yet. But it's I guess if you know if there's some kind of it is a general like yeah passing down yeah yeah problem. But it's also yeah. if some disaster hits right now and we lose language or something mm. happens in that way, it's kind of I can completely imagine humans in the future or whoever is on the planet in the yeah. future just kind of saying energy rays <laughs> like yeah. that, that doesn't sound real <laughs> yeah, and what's that? you know and the problem with nuclear materials is that often the danger isn't apparent immediately like mm. you enter you're exposed to ma- the material yeah. it then degrades the body over a period of time yeah. so there's that element of chance as well which is really difficult to kind of quantify and let people know about yeah so this i think this research has more or less been going on since the 80s um the human interference task force in the united states started with the problem um and i know isn't it great (laughs) yeah Yeah. so that was for the yucca mountain uh, repository which has mm. since closed down and now things are happening at the waste isolation pilot plant mm. uh, which is kind of the first location which had some waste delivered to it. I think in 2013 or 2014 there was a leak and some people were exposed to nuclear material in the place so wow. it's just it's yeah. it's an issue it's a problem and I guess the thing for me is um people keep asking me if I'm <clears throat> sorry uh people keep asking if I'm concerned about the bomb or the waste but right. to me they're inseparable right yeah. like even if you denuclearize dismantle the bomb mm. it's still mm. it's still the waste and the yeah. waste kind of still has that connotation of the bomb as well yeah. I think it's Drew Milne who says something like um the nuclear the nuclear problem is a wound in the human imagination wow. and that's yeah that's the thing like all yeah. of our bones can be dated on a nuclear timeline yeah now and that's just horrifying to me <laughs> yeah 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 thinking of haunting it's yeah you know, yeah and um yeah it's it's such a powerful I mean I'm just trying to find the words and I think that's mm-hmm. what you're trying you're trying exactly. to do too yeah that it's like this um immortal like it's just basically eternal this vector. Yeah, yeah yeah it reminds me a lot of um you know when you apply Derrida's hauntology to mm. trauma studies and that mm. idea that the traumatized body carries the ghost of both 
the body before trauma and the body at trauma mm. and that's the thing with the waste right mm. it's just this this mass that kind of follows us everywhere and mm. I I guess yeah. I've kind of had that issue of um wanting to write about Chernobyl and Fukushima and yeah. the uh, nuclear disasters that happened there and thinking do I have the right to write about this but it's mm. kind of a global like problem yeah. there's yeah. no escape from it like there's no atmospheric escape yeah. from from yeah. this material that's in the air yeah yeah and that's a very um yeah that's I guess that's the idea of the Anthropocene which mm-hmm. when I first heard that word I was like ugh, like this is so annoying because it's kind of like blame like implicating all of humanity in yeah. this issue that has really come about from Western, Western capitalism. capitalism. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, but then it's just kind of flattening it to all of humanity. Um, so I think that maybe I received that word as kind of like a blame, like the, the Anthropocene, like humanity is responsible. And I think mm. some of that that wording is definitely still yeah, pretty mainstream. Even now I'm saying we, right? And who, yeah. is, who is we? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. not... <laughs> It's not First Nations people. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's not the poor. It's yeah. But, yeah, and then there is this, like, um, I feel like it is a, a dawning consciousness that, you know, this, with global warming, mm-hmm. um, that, you know, that we are on this very limited planet. Like, it's not, it's... Um, you know, a finite space that yeah. we, you know, we we all on this earth share a climate, <laughs> yeah, and um, you know, an atmosphere and uh, and it's the oceans. And I really hate to dip into the kind of eco-fascist yeah, <laughs> perspective, yeah, but it's it, yeah, kind of like the planet will. I I think the planet will be okay without us. <laughs> you know, it's I've seen a lot of um you look at Fukushima and Chernobyl and mm. those areas are just flourishing. Oh, yeah. Now yeah. in terms of the wildlife, the um vegetation, mm. it's really bounced back and yeah. the researchers there are seeing obviously some mutations because yeah. of the radioactive material in the area, but mm. for the most part a lot of the animals like the environment is just living this really healthy life now that people aren't there and I think but that's a very dangerous way of thinking because who's you know it's kind of like who will be the first to die in that perspective and you know who the first will be right like it's really yeah Yeah. it's a very daunting thing it's yeah it reassures me in some ways Mm -hmm. that you know I think the planet itself will be okay but yeah. it's also who who gets caught up in that you know in that yeah. sort of thinking is yeah, really, yeah yeah absolutely. yeah because it's like that space around Chernobyl is uh not available for the expansion of mm-hmm. capitalism like to exploit that land or you know extract whatever so yeah so yeah then it's yeah there have been all these um, problems in Fukushima because mm. a lot of residents are trying to return to their homes. Yeah. And all these wild boar have kind of come down from the <laughs> mountains and are just in people's houses now. Oh, my God. And the boar haven't, like, encountered people before, so they don't 
really understand when people try to get rid of them. They're like, hey, this oh my is God. my house. Like, <laughs> it's really... But, oh, my God. What is the film that I'm thinking of? The Miyazaki film? Prin- Princess Mononoke Hime. Oh, uh, yes. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. yeah. The boys are... Yeah, okay. Yeah. The Revenge of... They're just... That yeah. film is so amazing and full-on. Mm-hmm. So good. Like, such a great, like... I don't know, anti-capitalist, yeah. like, nature revenge. It kind of, it really wears its heart on its sleeve. Oh. Like, it's just, it's a really, yeah. you know how a lot of uh, Miyazaki movies have a deep, deep symbolism, yeah. but Mononoke is just, yeah, like, they're just like, straight out. This like, is my, like, this is my point, I'm making it. Yeah. yeah. Like, you're destroying the forest, so we've come for our revenge. <laughs> great. Yeah, it's yep. so good. Yeah. Yeah, I just, I love it. The, <laughs> yeah, it's so good. I think it's that, yeah, it's just and it's I don't know. It's it's that I also that idea of wilderness and yeah. accepting that wilderness isn't just this untended thing. Mm. Like First Nations people have been tending the land yeah. for <laughs> thousands and thousands and thousands of years, right? Yeah. So it's yeah, it's a very complicated way of thinking that I have to be really conscious mm. of when I dip into yeah. that way of thinking as well because it's kind of like no it's not yeah 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 I definitely. don't know I think I'm just talking myself into a circle now but it's a com- it's a complicated issue yeah but, totally yeah. and I think like the going back to the word Anthropocene I think mm. it's a really like it can be a really flattening universalizing um kind of way of thinking and I think that yeah, that, um, you know, that's something that I've, uh, you know, try to not do is universalize. Yeah. And I mean, even, you know, you question the word we and, you know, things like that, those kind of words that are, um, yeah, yeah, flattening and universalizing. Um, yeah, so that's a danger, but it is also something that it's a, it's a real difficulty to try to think about that in a way that resists all of the kind of shitty stuff that we have to unlearn Mm -hmm. um we (laughs) yeah um yeah but that unlearning is a great word though yeah that yeah unlearning yeah 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 yeah. um hmm. um i was thinking about this also uh uh, so hmm, maybe we should talk a bit more about your um, your project. So what you're looking at, a poetics mm-hmm. of wanting. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that I mean that's the issue. Like how how in um, millions of years from now are uh, potential humans um, going to know to stay away from these sites mm-hmm. um, that are infinitely harmful and dangerous poisonous yeah um and there have been lots of kind of interesting suggested courses of action like with if you look into the nuclear semiotic stuff there's lots of like hostile architecture Mm. the 
glowing cat idea, which I personally love. That is amazing. <laughs> yeah, like they should be try that. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I find France is taking a really interesting approach to mm. the problem. So there's a company, Andra, there, and they tend to involve artists. Like they do a competition mm. and invite artists, writers to think up a solution and mm. play it out. And they, they're very much invite people to their repository. It's mm. kind of beautifully designed and that's they're trying to keep that cultural memory there yeah. whereas with the US it's <laughs> the things they've suggested are kind of build a big imposing structure and warn people out of it which is like equally fascinating yeah. so yeah. I guess for me I started coming into this thinking of mythology mm-hmm. and how Beowulf is a text that's been preserved and passed down for mm-hmm. so long. You know, the Iliad, the Odyssey. Yeah. And there are these, yeah, kind of mythic sorts yeah. of texts that still tell us something essential. You know, mm. in terms of Beowulf, there's that wilderness home binary in there that was obviously very important to Norse people. Mm. Uh, the the ships, the just what insights we get into the culture from, from that poem. Um, and I guess I'm trying to do... My intention was to do something similar, whether or not my practice lines up with that <laughs> kind of thing has been tricky to deal with. Yeah. And it's no small problem. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I I don't yeah. I don't think by any means I'm going to solve the problem <laughs> or end up with a project that will be the nuclear semiotic solution. I yeah. think the significance of the project is trying mm-hmm. and making an attempt. So I'm Maybe that's letting myself <laughs> off the book a bit, but it's, um, yeah, I'm trying my best and I'm talking to people about it. So yeah. that's kind of all I can really do. Yeah. But I, I've been thinking a lot about um, Wilfred Owen mm. and World War One mm-hmm. and how his poetry, he wrote a draft preface um, before he died for his collection, which is just beautiful in itself but there's a line in there all a poet can do today is warn Mm. that is why the true poets must be truthful Mm -hmm. and I find that idea of truthfulness really interesting with Owen who also wrote quite Mm. a lot in persona quite Mm. um narrative works as well and you I guess thinking about warning messages and Mm. how they sound I've had I've been looking a lot at just warning signs and how the wording of that is structured and you kind of you think about warning in terms of speech act theory so speech acts are particular words that perform an action when you say them so if I say I promise you mm-hmm. I'm performing the act of promising in doing that mm-hmm. so warning is one of those speech acts as well but the interesting thing about warning is that we don't really often say I warn you yeah. <laughs> this yeah. like you yeah. you know you might use the imperative command of do not go in there or you might structure it in a more descriptive way just by saying the woods are dangerous and that's that's still a warning but it's not an explicit yeah command so it's that's been the difficulty of it as well in that how do you what should I be using yeah (laughs) that the poetics of warning is quite diffuse Mm -hmm. in a way exactly and Owen like if we take his preface, if we mm. take him at his word with the preface, his work is incredibly, like there's yeah. barely any command in there. And if yeah. he does use a command structure, it's normally someone speaking. So mm-hmm. it's still a, a description of a command, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and his work is, yes, yeah, so focused on the image, on the body, on just kind of 
there is a bit of judgment in some of his poems, but a mm. lot of them are really just these meditations and mm. beautiful, beautiful description and imagery. So yeah. it's kind of how to make warning work in poetry. And yeah. then you think about warning, right? What was Owen trying to do? Not mm-hmm. stop war. Oh, yes. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I've been... Um, yeah, I've been t- teaching some of his work this mm-hmm. semester as well. Um, and I wanted to ask you a bit about Wilfred Orn and yeah. um, what he means to you and to your work. And um, But yeah, it's so, I mean, yeah, ironic, I guess, that, you know, ten, a decade later there was uh, World War Two, yeah. you know, and that they didn't call World War One World War One. Mm-hmm. Called it the Great War because yes. it was the war to that would end all end wars. All wars. Um, yeah, and and my students also going back to teaching really um, connected with his work as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, what is um, what's your favorite Wilfred Owen poem? Um. Mm. I really, I actually really like a lot of his fragments. Like yeah. I like, I saw his round mouth, that, the, oh God. Um, I saw his round mouth's crimson when he fell, that oh, little yeah. snippet. Um, yeah. Oh, I'm exposing myself as a fake Wilfred Owen fan. No. But, um, <laughs> no, I love a lot of his fragments. Mm. Um, Arms in the Boy is probably one of my favorites yeah. just because of that last stanza and those last few lines in that stanza. I wonder well. if we can find it. Yeah. Read it. Um, yeah, I might get you to do it on your phone. And Strange Meeting is a beautiful, beautiful one as well, but it's very, very long and still in draft form yeah. as well. I don't think he ever finished um, mm. Strange Meeting. Um, just thinking of um, like what are his most famous widely read poems would be Anthem for Doomed Youth mm-hmm. and... Um, Dolce et Decorum Est. Yeah. yeah, so they're both really explicit poems of one yeah. as well. And so that's what's endured, I guess, what people have kind of picked out of his work to kind of canonise. Mm-hmm. And so that is that, yeah, that po- poetry of warning as well. That, yeah. That is remembered more, more so maybe than some and of his other work, which is... Definitely. You know, He's, I think... Um, a lot of his protest poems yeah. and he he had a um he has a few draft table of contents as well that are mm. sometimes included in the front or back matter mm. of um of some of his anthologies and yeah it's it's a really interesting list because he kind of lists the poems that he wants to include in the connection uh, collection mm. and then motive is another oh, table yeah. next to it which oh, is yeah. really yeah so so he's doing his own glossary as well, well yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah and it's um there are things of points like um how the dead will be forgotten after the war mm. um the willingness of the old to sacrifice the young mm-hmm. uh Protest is a big one as mm-hmm. well, but protest he tends to include alongside, you know, each of. I probably have it somewhere <laughs> yeah. on my phone, but um, he yeah. So he's he kind of he thought very consciously about what yeah. his poems were actually doing. Yeah. And this was, I think, this particular table of contents was for a collection of war poetry. The preface mm. as well mm. was for um war poetry he wanted to publish, but it would have just been really interesting had he survived the war to see yeah. what work he yeah. would have because he was he was a poet yeah. for you know he was writing long before mm. the war started so yeah and um 
Yeah, for, for listeners who don't know, <laughs> um, he died, he was killed um, uh, a week before yeah. the armistice. Nearly which, to the hour. Yeah, yeah, which is, yeah, so full on and, yeah. Um, yeah, I've been teaching a novel, um, Regeneration, by Pat Yeah, Parker, yes. If you've read mm-hmm. it. Yeah, um, yeah, so we kind of get him as a character yeah. in that, which is sort of... It's really interesting to te- to be thinking about poetry alongside a kind of, like, a good novel, but mm-hmm. quite a conventional realist kind of historical novel that is kind of, um, you know, on the scale of poetry to um, instruction manual. Yeah. It's sort of somewhere in the middle of, mm-hmm. of descriptive... Um, realism, I guess, um, which is yeah different to yeah. I just love how those character characterizes yeah. characters have been mythologized in mm-hmm. that way. So Owen yeah. um, Sassoon, one of my closest friends, uh, Madeline Madeline Dale, who's mm-hmm. also a wonderful poet, she did her honors thesis on Sassoon and oh, wow. the War Dead. Um, wow, and just the like reading those letters mm-hmm. between Owen and Sassoon and how yeah. Owen's work is like he only saw what three or four poems published in his mm-hmm. lifetime mm-hmm. um and how his work really only gained the the acclaim that it's gotten because you know Sassoon um Blunden like a lot mm-hmm. of his friends actually yeah took the effort to edit it to yeah. disseminate it yeah um so it's it's what what is remembered mm. in that way as well which is part yeah. of the nuclear problem too right like yeah. what what yeah. do we choose to remember mm-hmm. and who chooses in yeah. that way as yeah. well like Beowulf we have when we still only have it in fragments right because yeah. it was preserved in that way and because we've chosen to maintain it but you think about all the things we've lost mm. over history mm-hmm. um, especially because of colonization and the tool of colonization is really haunting and the silence of that like there's an overwhelming silence in the world that's really how do you put words to that Mm. you know Mm -hmm. yeah so but maybe I could get you to read one of your poems from this um nuclear semiotics stuff yeah um I really love frame shift mutations (laughs) and then and I was like it's I think it's something it's very visual like you need to really see it on the page Mm -hmm. I'm really interested to hear you read it but maybe you don't want to as well this is really funny (laughs) because I haven't tried to read frame shift mutations I've the first stanza obviously and the second and the second which are readable yeah and then the third stanza devolves in an actual frameshift mutation I've been like actually editing or attempting to edit this poem yeah quite a bit yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> yesterday I had a meeting with um the poet Cherry Smith mm-hmm. who's published this um collection famished on the Irish potato famine oh, wow. and she I gave frameshift frameshift mutations to her as a poem wow. to get her advice on and she was yeah. like have you tried reading this out loud and I was like no yeah <laughs> yeah um so I can attempt to yeah. I haven't done it before okay um but I can give it an attempt can it's we do terrible. it let's we can... do it okay and then oh, maybe God. we can talk about um because I noticed one of your other poems is uh it's 
uh, maybe a scan or a photo of a folded paper. Oh, the paper crane, a flight plan. Flight plan, yeah. yeah. So it's a, so I didn't know that. So it's a paper crane. Mm-hmm. Cool, but folded and then unfolded, so you can see all of the um, the creases and the yeah. shadows in the paper, which is really beautiful. Um, so that's a kind of a, a shift to toward the visual as well. Yeah, but, I've yeah. been doing a lot of that, I yeah. guess. Um, I've been, I had a few, I'm working a lot with cootie catchers mm-hmm. or the paper fortune tellers at Saw the moment. Saw that on Twitter, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> um, and I actually have some things coming out very soon. They will probably Ooh. be out by the time the yeah. podcast is out um, yeah. with Running Dog and their yeah. poet in residence this Great. month and next month. So. Great. That will be happening so look too. For that. Yes, look Great. out for that. Um, but I guess with flight plan, it's kind of. Do you want me to read this first? And no, then talk t- about flight tell plan? me about flight plan and then <laughs> let's try. Then let's do this. <laughs> oh god, I'm stalling. I'm stalling. That's um, flight plan is I. Yeah. Okay. So I'm trying to do. I guess because the warning is so yeah. visual, yeah. and I think I've been. I always keep saying I'm not a very good visual thinker which Mm. is not quite correct Mm -hmm. i am not very good at translating Mm. that to page unfortunately Mm. but with flight plan i was really i've been folding and unfolding origami a lot recently Mm. and i think for me it's kind of this idea of when does a thing stop being a thing Mm -hmm. um i'm really interested in i don't know if you've read Catherine malibu's ontology of the accident she has this idea of um destructive plasticity so Mm -hmm. when a person undergoes a trauma Mm -hmm. it can be plastic or creative in that Mm -hmm. a new identity is often created as a result of that trauma yeah um so i guess with this kind of comes back to the agonist mm. again as mm-hmm. well and how when does a body stop being a body when does a thing stop being a thing and mm. i don't think things stop being things yeah <laughs> i think yeah. it's i think if you unfold a paper crane it's still a crane like yeah. the evidence of its craneness is still there in yeah. the folds in yeah. the trauma on the paper um mm. so i guess that's what I was trying yeah. to get at it with that. It sort of connects to your question for the agonist as well. Yeah. What, what was it again? What happens to the self when the body is dismembered? Dismembered. And yeah, it's, dismemberment. Yeah. Mm. And it's that whole, like, Malibu is very insistent that, mm. you know, a bashed up face is still a face. Mm. Um, an amputated arm is still a limb. Like, mm. it's kind of, it's, yeah. it's that idea of traces, right? Yeah. And, and even scarring and how the scarred body kind of bears a history in all well all bodies bear histories but our bodies are inscribed in those Mm. sorts of ways and they're still our bodies Mm -hmm. (laughs) even if things happen to them yeah so it's kind of yeah it's I don't know I think I just maybe I just like unfolding or yeah (laughs) well it can be a multiplicity right it's all of those things um and I I was thinking as well about in the agonist there's medical diagrams from mm-hmm. Grey's at Grey's and Madam. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so there's that visual in there as well in that collection. And yeah, I was wondering um, about whether or not the visual is more or less lasting than the 
than words I don't know just thinking about the poetics of warning yeah and um you know those problems of you know the nuclear symbol I think when we see that we know what it means and there's a context for that but um you know it's an abstract shape really it doesn't mean anything without context and the thing with the trefoil so Mm. that is that classic nuclear symbol the three blades with the circle in the center it's not I think in 2016 they Mm. did a study and it's not recognized worldwide as a nuclear symbol so it's not a universal symbol it Mm. is it is recognized in you know western capitalist (laughs) society but in a lot of other countries like it's it yeah, doesn't mean it? anything yeah. and it doesn't really look like anything. Yeah. And that's been, I guess, some of the problem with the nuclear semiotic signs is, you know, how do you portray a face in pain? How do mm. you how do you even make sure that the images are in the right order? Like you yeah. look at, you know, page order and reading order yeah. and it varies yeah. language to language. So how do yeah. you, what if in the future they read like from the bottom up or something yeah. instead yeah. and don't know what an arrow is for? Yeah. Know? Like it's, yeah. yeah. So it's all those sorts of yeah. issues too. Like, and it's, yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know. The visual is really arresting, but mm-hmm. um, I think it was Carl Sagan said, why don't you just use a, use a skull and crossbones? Like that's, been the universal symbol but kids yeah. wear like pirate outfits exactly. now you know like you can get pirate themed water bottles and stuff yeah and it's not so saying <laughs> that the thing inside is toxic yeah it's not saying don't drink this bottle of yeah. poison yeah yeah exactly amazing so it's yeah like yeah. Sim- even the visual can degrade in yes. that way as well like yeah. if you don't have the reference for it yeah it's probably probably the degradation is slower than language but yeah it's still mm. yeah it's it's just a really difficult problem yeah <laughs> <laughs> speaking of difficult problems oh, let's okay. try to read this okay. frame shift mutation so this and this is <gasps> um has been published in terse journal yes it has yeah, yeah. frame shift mutations she did not ask you for jaw and lip you foe yet kin for era but you awe the men who ate her Raw, row gut, doe-eye wet. God, his maw and pax was bad for her. Nix the rib, but you are not her ilk. She cannot ask him for jaw and lip. Her foe yet kin for era. But here was Smith, <laughs> the man who ate her. Raw, rob gut, elk eye dry. God, his paw was pox, was bad for her. Saw the leg, but hey, snow the rilk. Heck, and otusk, orge, our new hip. Zero I ki, nfo, er, ah. Uth, ear, our est, hem, er, hoa, te, er. Zrawar, burger, burger, okay. Ah, telki, er, God is, was, pox, was for her. Or tell a uth is not her ilk. Okay. Wow. That happened. Speaking of Beowulf, though. Yeah. <laughs> I actually really? hadn't even, because uh, I've never, I haven't tried to read it out yeah. loud, but it is. It yeah. sounds like old English, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think because a lot of these short, normally with, you can, normally short words mm. tend to be anglo-saxon words mm-hmm. as well i found yeah, like yeah. yeah that kind of germanic versus latinate yeah rooted words in english mm-hmm. yeah so it's 
yeah, it is possible just by Amazing. removing some letters. We- well, <laughs> thank you for, for doing that. Thank you for the challenge. <laughs> oh. um, so for, for listeners, I'll link to this um, poem that is in um, published in Terse Journal. Thank but you. Do you want to describe how it's laid out just for some context? Yeah, so it's composed all of um, three-letter words and it's in three stanzas and I've tried to... A frame shift mutation usually occurs if an extra, like with actual DNA mm. <laughs> structures, if an ex- extra letter is added in or mm. something is taken out. Mm. So I've tried to, in some cases, there's the first stanza, the second stanza maybe changes a few words or mm. removes a letter here and there. And then the third stanza just kind of completely breaks down mm-hmm. <laughs> in terms mm-hmm. of the letters I've removed. I tried to with some of the pronouns a bit as well mm. uh, where I could so yeah I I don't it's it's been published but I still yeah. don't know that it's a finished yeah. poem and I think what I would like to do with it is actually I was at a um, workshop at Queensland Poetry Festival with mm. um, Gregory Can and mm. he brilliant poet as well but he talks about kind of how he's written poetry based on architecture you mm. know if there's and openness in the middle of the building he'll try to put that same structure on a poem Mm -hmm. and he was talking a lot about finding structures to use Mm -hmm. a scaffolding for writing Mm -hmm. a poem you know so if you if you think of the body as a structure and writing the head maybe writing the thinking writing the lungs maybe writing the breathing Mm -hmm. like writing the hands might be writing movement and Mm -hmm. how you kind of translate that over maybe I'm butchering it so I'm sorry Greg if I completely (laughs) misunderstood what you're saying but I kind of was thinking with this one because I did this very randomly and Mm. just tried to play around until I had something that looked visually interesting but I'm wondering if I should maybe pick a particular type of frame shift mutation and impose it on the poem and Mm. what that would do Mm -hmm. to it if I did that so Yeah. yeah thinking more consciously about how I'm messing with the language but yeah, yeah I don't know we'll yeah. see I wanted to ask you about form and um, mm-hmm. I think in another interview you mentioned that you're in your new work trying to think a bit more consciously about form um, I mean constraint is is one I wonder um, if you work with constraints um, you mentioned that you're working on sonnets or, <laughs> or that kind of formal I've been trying or... a few um, of the more repetition based ones yeah. like um, Pantoom's mm-hmm. uh, Villanelle's oh, wow. and Sistina's yeah. and I'm not very good at them yeah. like I'm I really respect um, I really love Chloe Wilson's mm-hmm. work and she just she can do a good Pantoom and mm-hmm. I'm just I don't know how (laughs) I I guess the I'm really interested in sound like the sonic Mm. quality of the poem has always been a really big thing for which is why frame shift mutations is so interesting in that I didn't yes it wasn't one I'd read out loud so it's yeah normally I tend to be able to hear what a poem sounds like first and then I work with that and then I might sometimes play with how it looks on the page Mm. so I'm I guess my yeah the idea of constraint is kind of like I'm trying to make more of an effort to rely on Anglo-Saxon because I Mm. tend to use Latin obviously Mm. Latin root words a lot just because I think they sound cool and I think 
they make the re- they trip the reader up a little bit and yeah. sometimes even if you don't know how to say it you still stop mm-hmm. in that subvocalization of it as well and i like introducing those sorts of pauses in the yeah. work um but i yeah i am trying to re- think more think more consciously about language i've always mm. thought really consciously about it but mm. more so now yeah. in terms of this warning work that i'm doing yeah. and i guess for me i really I want to work more with the command, like mm. the imperative, but I'm not very good with the... I think my poem likes the question. I yep. think a lot of my poems have a question mm-hmm. in there and I need to stop doing yeah. that. <laughs> that should be my constraint, like attempting to work more with the imperative because I just... I'm not I'm not good with the command. Like I, yeah. I don't know if I have any... I haven't looked at the agonist in a while, so I don't know if there are any imperatives in there, but I'm just not very... Mm. not very good at the warning like command right. thing that's what I yeah, yeah, yeah and I don't know maybe I'm not a very <laughs> very commanding person I'm not sure but I that's why I like that's interesting is yeah. the command like integral to the the warning and that's the thing yeah. as well like I, I guess the problem is a lot of the warning poems I've been writing at the moment are quite oblique and mm. kind of gesture towards nuclear history yeah. rather than being explicit but it's also like why why be explicit you know do yeah, the emily well, dickinson thing what is it tell the truth but tell it slant yeah like exactly yeah. yeah and also yeah just going back to that kind of flattening of language that well you're not writing a like a manifesto i guess mm-hmm. or um yeah that the poem there is um when all the nuclear semiotic mm. stuff kind of started out there's this it's not a it's not the explicit warning message they suggest is used but it's kind of the when we talk about speech acts Mm. we talk about the there are certain levels so there's Mm. the locution which is just the words that are being said so i promise you Mm. and then there's an illocution which is the act of promising that's the intention behind it and then there's the perlocution which is what happens in the real world as Mm. a result of performing that act so this they kind of came up with this really gorgeous evocative snippet which was the elocution the message that they wanted to portray with oh i can't find it i'm sorry um i will look it up just because i'd love to read a little bit of it for you it's I know how it starts. It's, um, this place is a message, uh, part of a system of messages. Do It's just, it uses the command in such yeah. an arresting way. And it's kind yeah. of, there's a part in it. Um, and this is what they wanted all their hostile architecture to be saying. Um, mm. The danger is to the body and it can kill. Do not dig here. Do not, you know, wow. do not drink the water here. So it's, it's yeah. kind of that mix of the description and the command, which yeah. I guess is what i'm trying to harness but i just yeah but that, shy away from the command every time yeah. and what kind of what kind of writing is like what genre is that because it sounds like a poem it's and it it's, looks like a poem as yeah. well when you see it too i might um send you a link to it when send i find it, it so you yeah. can see it um, and maybe I'll, I'll either link to it or i'll insert a clip here yeah <laughs> of me reading it um it's it is. Uh, it, they did a big report. So it was mm. a, a big report that they had to submit to the U.S. Department of Energy. Yeah. And they kind of, it's it's just this little, it's not an aside, it's in there. Yeah. And it's kind of like, 
this is more this is the message we want our hostile architecture to convey and then have this kind of snippet there yeah yeah it's a really it's just looking at those reports are really really interesting because they're just filled with all these weird (laughs) illustrations of like you know spike fields and yeah yeah all these architecture ideas they were coming up with which will yeah. never be made because they're so stupidly yeah. expensive <laughs> well but I'm also yeah. so obsessed with just the wording hostile architecture mm-hmm. it's so so good but it's so it's so bad I feel like is that used in like urban yeah. planning as well yes to deter to... people from sleeping like on benches mm-hmm. and it's kind of anti-homeless yes stuff yeah very oh, much so. that's where I've heard that before but this this epic hostile architecture seems amazing. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm definitely going to Google that and have a look. They had just yeah. Google nuclear semiotics and yeah. you see a lot of the diagrams. They had yeah. like a few spike fields with these spires kind of emanating out of the earth. Wow. They had kind of big blocks, which they I don't know if they decided on a material, but they were like, well, it has to be big yeah. and so big that no one can move it to use it, you know, to yeah, yeah. to form any sort of shelter or something and wow. kind of black sorts of... My favourite was this just black concrete on the ground which would absorb the heat because it's in the US, yeah. like the desert in yeah. America. Yeah. So it would just get so hot that it would deter anyone from staying in that area. Yeah, it's so just logic. Like, oh, yeah, yeah there's that, lots of really weird ones it's, it's really really interesting yeah but, yeah it makes me think also here's my segue mm-hmm. um, <laughs> um about gaming yes. um and those kind of i mean i was just thinking of halo <laughs> like <laughs> those kinds of like architectural spaces mm-hmm. um that's designed to get you to go a certain way yeah, yeah. totally um yeah, that wasn't as good as uh, <laughs> segue as I thought it would it, be. But but what I'm that's exactly why I've been so interested in game. Well, yeah. I'm I am interested in gaming in yeah, general. Yeah. But I'm trying to, I guess, with the twine poems yeah. I've been doing is that there's this compliance the reader has to go with, which is very kind of again against mm-hmm. the agonist because mm-hmm. the agonist I was very much like take this however you want mm. and take whatever meaning you want from it mm. I'm not going to tell you this poem is about Bucky Barnes like yeah. <laughs> just yeah, yeah. do whatever you want with that <laughs> yeah. um whereas with this idea of warning and control and mm. agency mm. with mm. digital spaces and with games and with twine games you mm. can control where the reader goes mm. and how they move through a text yeah and I really liked that idea with warning where you could you know describe this dangerous area and mm. let someone go further and yeah. then let them suffer suffer <laughs> let them experience a yeah. consequence yeah. that in a safe kind of space yeah. you know because yeah. that's what games let us do like yeah experience things yeah in a very safe and not terrible way <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah. Uh, yeah I really like the idea of you know games as as a train they can be you know we use games educationally and as mm-hmm. training yeah things training apparatuses yeah so it's I guess using that technology but mm. for me I I really like twine, but it's like, how do you translate twine to the physical page? Mm-hmm. And I'm very mm-hmm. invested still in making a 
physical print book not I want my ideal goal would be to have two versions Mm. of the book one digital one print Mm. but for me Mm. print is still the kind of as close as we can get to a perfect archive yeah like because digital is still moving you know it's still changing right like right now in my room I have a PlayStation 2 a PlayStation 3 and a PlayStation 4 all set up at the same time they're all connected to the TV at the moment and this, yeah. I'm sure there'll be a new console really soon. Yeah, like, and I mean, think about all of the CDs and VHS mm-hmm. tapes that are degrading. Yeah. I think you, you might know more about this, but there's like a digital dark age, that concept, that a certain um, period of time, which I think is the late 90s mm-hmm. to mid-2000s, that all of that stuff, because CDs don't have a very long life, um, and then we're kind of losing, you know, nobody has a, v- a VCR. I have uh, a VCR. Except for yeah. you. <laughs> so put that in a Faraday yeah. cage. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah um, it reminds me yeah. of, um, I did a, a summer research scholarship at the National Library of Australia mm. and they had rooms just full of old technology because they have all these mm-hmm. archives and they need a method by which to access the archive right and it was oh it was so it was great because I got to look in Thomas Shapcott's um collections Mm -hmm. which is just the best thing for me and it was really interesting seeing his handwritten kind of or typed poems with handwritten notes oh it's just the best he's so funny (laughs) I just I have the biggest like I just adore I just I just want to be his friend yeah yeah he's just great but um yeah, and then it gets to a point, I think it was the City of Empty Rooms, mm. maybe 2011, where mm. that manuscript, he just printed it. It was printed on standard yeah. white computer paper, stapled yeah. and sent in. And it yeah. was like, oh, this is so sad. Like, yeah. We've lost something here. <laughs> yeah, but just that, yeah. I like, I have that image of the room with all these kind of <laughs> dead apparatuses, more mm. or less, or, you know, mm. resting inert apparatuses, mm. waiting to reactivate all mm. these things in the collection yeah. and it's it's part of the nuclear semiotics problem right yeah. <laughs> like how do we archive yeah. this information and i don't yeah. think digital is the right way to do it at this stage because it's still it's still moving like yeah. you can access the same web page on a different browser and it will not work in yeah. the same way you know like yeah. it's yeah, it's a really so it's it's presented a really like interesting problem for me, but mm-hmm. also a really stressful problem because it's yeah. then how do you replicate? I guess I'm saying like the game command. Yeah. In thinking of speech acts, like games give you so many speech acts, which then get enacted mm-hmm. in the real world in a kind yeah. of way, even if it's abstracted a little bit. Yeah. You know, if a game commands you to press square to mm-hmm. punch someone, you press square, and you're still performing that act in the real world yeah in a way yeah sort of if that makes sense yeah totally yeah so it's I guess my problem or my question with doing this new work is Mm. how to get that command with the same amount of potency Mm -hmm. and put it in the page poem and I don't know that there's a solution to that but that's what I'm working towards or trying and failing to do yeah yeah and I love that that word command that you were talking about before Mm -hmm. struggling with that in your language but that that is also a 
programming language yes term, yeah totally. as well as yeah in um video games mm-hmm. uh do you want to read your Majima poem I would, uh, <laughs> I would love to read my Majima poem um okay yeah it's just uh, on one page thank you <laughs> self-portrait as Goro Majima I like trying on your body tilt of your hips you and sinew swivel the right stick to see how you look on me wrung out worn thin brittle grin of you stretching us into fists your smart mouths red how you can't stop naming yourself how in a foregone future you bear your taut belly as though the bodies of these men aren't set to ruin us as though the rind of your knees can keep the blood inside of you They couldn't render your scars, so instead we hold a closed eyelid, empty socket, hair absent on your fine-boned wrists. You already carry a woman on your back. What's one more? I want a change of skin. We haven't yet been married, but you're a family man, hands just like a father's. Press X to interact, press circle to cancel. Reverse the trajectory of this body, the throat full of sham dialect and smoke, spit oozing back into you. Swell of you fits better than I ever did. I don't know where you've been, but I could take us to karaoke and drinks and tripe barbecue, swallow your snake's tongue, wet pillow of your chest. Forget that you were ever anything less than powerful, insides of our thighs marking the year when no one came to save us tap x repeatedly to surface hold x to dash you can only sprint for so long i don't have the currency to help you outrun this i'm not controlling you can idle as long as i let you Smoke, ash, smoke and stretch, rolled the breath of our knotted shoulders, shudder and breath. Press square, press square, press square. Animal whimper, triangle and chokehold, a lover's tight clench. Have you noticed our bodies all wrong? Remember when we could keep both eyes open? Flashback to April before I could move you, when I could only pause or turn away, watermelon we smashed to pieces, our hand and its gesture towards the last days of spring, the sticky hot joy of you before we knew exactly what we would do to each other. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Um, and all of your Majima content <laughs> on Twitter. Uh, and your tattoo. Yeah, and my tattoo. Oh, in real life. Yep. Wow, so beautiful. Well, it's the worst because I got this, mm. which is a cat. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a Mon Mon cat and mm-hmm. it's Majima in cat form. Oh, amazing. And then I just couldn't stop. And then you so just I like, just okay, thought, oh, I'll get going. a full portrait and yes. ruin my whole life. So good. I, I also love tattoos that have tattoos. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. It's yeah. Meta. I love it. Well, I was saying to my artist, you can, like, hide the tattoo behind the leaf. And she's like, no, I want to tattoo the tattoo. Yay. <laughs> it worked out. <laughs> Sounds great. That's so good. <laughs> um, huh. This is great. It's just really yeah. funny because we've been talking about 
my use of persona and then yeah. <laughs> here it's suddenly like I uh this yeah. is gonna sound so terrible and esoteric so I've been <laughs> I've been writing a lot of Majima poems mm-hmm. and normally it's very easy for me to kind of play some media or watch some tv or mm-hmm. watch a movie or whatever and be able to step into that character's eye mm-hmm. so and sometimes I I use the you instead but Often I use the you as an I as well, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. In the soldier poems, in the agonist, I kind of felt like Bucky Barnes, the winter soldier, was this mm-hmm. really unstable identity. So I couldn't use... I felt that he didn't actually have an I, a subjective mm-hmm. sort of identity. So yep. I thought, okay, I'll use the you. And mm-hmm. that seemed to sit nicely mm-hmm. in there. So it's, you know, either one seems to work for me. Mm-hmm. And I found when I was writing these Majima poems Mm -hmm. I couldn't use the I and Mm -hmm. the you was almost ending up as as command as this imperative like you will instead of a describing voice so it's it's like he was kind of resisting me at every Mm -hmm. term Mm -hmm. as a as a persona like he just wasn't complying with that and I thought okay maybe I just don't know enough about this character because it's interesting with the Yakuza games there have yeah. been lots of remakes um right. there's the issue of translation and what's not coming across properly yeah. or in yeah. the right way uh yeah. the fact that the characters you know had a prequel which changes some storyline stuff <laughs> there's just yeah, a lot of yeah, stuff yeah. going on so yeah. he's kind of already this unstable yeah. identity in a yeah. lot of ways but it was yeah it was just really weird to kind of have a persona that was actively <laughs> fighting against me in yeah. a lot of ways yeah. so I, I had to use my eye <laughs> finally yeah and I found yeah. a lot of my Majima related poems yeah. it's it's my eye which yeah. feels really weird and uncomfortable to me but it yeah. was the only thing yeah. I could do in that yeah. scenario yeah. so yeah yeah anyway yeah. I know I sound a little bit crazy but no it way. just it happened that way yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like oh I'm really revealing myself here yeah, yeah. oh it was weird it was yeah. really weird because it like all the personas kind of feel like people to me and not mm-hmm. all of them are people I know well mm-hmm. but I kind of know enough for the poem and yeah. I have this kind of silhouette of them a yeah. lot of the time so yeah. but yeah. I guess you know them like maybe like in real life people like friends and you know you don't know their even parents you don't know their whole life story and yeah. everything about them but you know who they are that's a really good to point you. yeah and you spend a lot of time with him <laughs> much I do spend so. a lot of time with him yeah. um, <laughs> I have I feel like I, I haven't played the Yakuza games mm-hmm. um but I play a lot of Animal Crossing yeah and one of my villagers Aurora who's a penguin I, I love just, a ro- is this pocket camp? No, no, no. Okay, but um, New Leaf. So they have yeah. the same the same little villages. So she's I so have, cute. Oh, I just love her. <laughs> like I just feel like she's just a person in my life. Mm-hmm. I just adore her, and I would just be so devastated if she were to move out of my town. <laughs> That's the stressful thing with New yeah. Leaf, isn't it? Because they can mm-hmm. just leave at any point. Yeah, they can. Yeah. Yep. I'm glad she hasn't left you. No, she I hasn't. hope she never leaves. I you. hope she never will. Yeah, I saw this tweet that was like, people panic that young people are gonna like, uh, you know, that violent video games are like making people <laughs> violent or whatever. And then in real life, it's like people playing video games like, 
oh no, I'm going to go back to my last save because I just chose the wrong option in this speech thing and I'm worried that I've hurt this character's feelings. It's like that's really like it's this deep empathy. I find (laughs) save games like Mm. so and reloads really interesting. I'd Mm -hmm. like to write something about that, but Mm -hmm. I don't know how I would do that yet. Mm -hmm. But just that idea of playing through an experience, right, and then deciding you don't like it so you yeah. you quit and stop and replay and yeah. it's like is that memory still there <laughs> like yeah. is yeah. yeah have you kind of created this different I don't know quantum yeah <laughs> existence <laughs> yes. which you yeah. then yeah. what stops existing in games and what yeah keeps ex- I don't know it's complicated yeah. <laughs> yeah I was just thinking about twine as well mm-hmm. um and that, what the analog, the paper analog would be. And then I just remembered, choose your own adventure. Yeah. Do you, have you? That's the main way I'm yeah. planning on translating the Twine game to book space. But it's yeah. also, the thing I really like about Twine is you can, there's just inbuilt mm. kind of enchantments and macros and codes that you can play with. Mm-hmm. So one of my favorite things is like having to, a character has to go to certain areas before another thing will unlock in a previous area that they've been to it's like how do you implement things like functions like that Mm. within a book or do you just simplify it or do you just change the page which you turn to I'm not sure it'll be yeah um Chuck Palahniuk is Mm. is, he is one of my favorite authors Mm. and I I don't know I think people have a lot of opinions on him but um he wrote a book uh Invisible Monsters was his first one and he did a remix version of it mm. not super recently but um he turned it into a choose your own adventure game and oh, if you wow. follow oh, wow. if you follow the pages yeah. you just I'm pretty sure get the original novel mm. so there's all this added stuff that kind of you can't access if you follow the instructions wow. of the book which yeah. I find really interesting yeah, so, so interesting. I still I'm kind of like how do I read this do I just go yeah. page by page like yeah. a regular <laughs> regular book so I'm I'm still pottering through that because I Ooh. I'm not sure how I'm meant to read it but that's yeah. the thing with poetry collections yeah. right because mm-hmm. you'll have <laughs> I worked so hard with the agonist <laughs> in terms of order of the poems oh yeah um yeah. you know thinking about how the ending of each poem <laughs> impacts the beginning of the next yeah. one like yeah. it was a big thing for me mm-hmm. a lot of people just uh flick through and open Mm. kind of go okay I'll read this yeah I'll read this that's fine that is totally okay I'm not judging anyone (laughs) but it's thinking about that Mm. like in structuring this warning Mm. collection which I would want people to go through a certain way and which I can make happen if I use twine yeah yeah that's true yeah, yeah like I find it really interesting the potential of having a book like this and mm. then opening and ending up in the middle of a choose your own adventure poem and yeah. kind of going, oh, Uh-oh. what do I do now? <laughs> yeah, so yeah. yeah, the potentials are really interesting, but you think about, I guess in my head, I was thinking, oh, if I use the digital, like the mm. reader has all this freedom because mm-hmm. it's this mm. it's a digital space and you can do what you want, but you can't yeah. really do what you want. You can yeah. only act with within the confines of the machine and the program, right? Yeah. Whereas you think about a page collection, there's yeah. nothing forcing you to read it in a particular order. There's yeah. no it's it's an it's random access, right? Yeah. It's completely yeah free to you can do whatever you want with a page collection. Totally. Whereas the digital space yeah. is actually 
this incredible like apparatus of control mm-hmm. on the mm-hmm. reader, which is which I hadn't. I'm yeah. sure other people have conceived of that before, no. but for me, it kind of blew my mind. Yeah, a totally. Bit. But yeah. I guess like you know the World Wide Web and yeah. cyberspace and stuff. It's yeah. like this like wow, like expanding I can access universe. Anything. I can, of, yeah. yeah, open access and all of these things. Um, I've been watching a lot of bullet journaling YouTube yeah. <laughs> videos and a lot of those people will refer to the bullet journal, which for those who don't know, is essentially a notebook that you can do anything with. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a, a physical paper notebook um, that instead of getting a journal or using an app or whatever, you just you, you write it and people will say, Oh, I just love it because it's such a fully customizable interface. Fully customizable <laughs> interface that is just like that's just like stuck in my mind forever. Yeah, as like it's just amazing that that language of the internet, mm-hmm. like the um, or of apps or programs or whatever, like that's a limitation. But that's the language of the internet. Yeah. That, oh, look at this paper notebook that we can actually fully customize this interface. Whereas with an app like whatever, Evernote or mm-hmm. whatever organization or apps, you have to it you have work to within. work within the yep. constraints of how it's been designed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's fascinating. Yeah. And that transference of language is really yeah. like even things like windows and desktop and dashboard and things and how those have leaked in, but even that very specific technological language Mm -hmm. and how it's come out. And you look at nuclear language, right, Mm -hmm. and how we use things like fallout to describe (laughs) very small, relatively small things happening in our lives, you know, and yeah, yeah, just those, how Mm. that, you know, very specific lexicon, Mm. how the leakage over is really, really interesting. But I think, yeah, yeah, the way we conceive of analog, I'm really interested just in the movement from digital to analog and back again and how it works. And I've been doing the um, uh, Express Media's toolkits, digital storytelling, which is amazing. And I'm so happy because I turn... I turned 30, so mm-hmm. now I can no longer do any more. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> I am, Happy birthday. I, thank You're you. no longer. Thank like... you. I am no longer a young writer. Um, <laughs> so I'm very grateful that I could do this now great. because I would be too old That's <laughs> afterwards. Yeah. But it's um, it's been really interesting. And John Chia, who's running things for mm. us, is kind of, I guess I, I look at digital technology digital technology I sound like such an old person I know I I look at the digital and it's kind of like oh I can do this fun kooky thing yeah and John will kind of say why like what (laughs) why are you using the digital you know is have you thought about if the page would be better for this thing and it's kind of I think that's the thing with me like the novelty of it I get kind of stuck in it when Mm. sometimes it you know (laughs) it's that idea of you know, form and content yeah, and how exactly. the form should fit, like yeah. the form should serve the content really. Yeah. But the, sometimes yeah. the digital and sometimes with the work I'm doing now, it's the form is so interesting that mm. I focus more on that than the actual content, totally. which is, which is a problem really. <laughs> yeah. Or, or productive. It Who can... was it that you were talking about? Who was it? Catherine Malibu? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Oh, destructive plasticity. Yeah. 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 So it's like you've eliminated, I mean, I guess that's constraint and the, you know, thing that um, by taking out certain possibilities, you 
you know, can produce something new or definitely. I mean, the sonnet, the twine game, <laughs> you know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's yeah. I think working with form, it's kind of mm. that idea of, you know, every diamond is like built under thousands of pounds of yeah. pressure, right? Yeah. So it's that yeah, sticking within those things yeah. can be really interesting. And yeah. I really, I think I've I'm really happy with the work I'm producing yeah. at the moment. I'm really excited about the mm. work I'm producing at the moment, but I'm still always thinking about the page Mm. I guess I guess having been a page poet yeah a page poet I hate that term but that's what I've been my whole life it's really new ground for me yeah whereas it's not new like a lot of people have been doing I love um Rory Green's Mm. work and Tegan Webb has just made some of the most amazing twine Mm. games I've ever seen so it's really exciting to be creating things at the same time as all these other people I just really like I'm just really grateful to have the peers that I have because I'm yeah I'm just grateful to be able to have the opportunity to learn new things like that's the thing for me I feel like I want to talk about Twitter because I feel like without Twitter I wouldn't have found totally well you yes um, yeah and other poets I mean all over the world that I wouldn't have read or known their work if it weren't for Twitter definitely so and I yeah what do you, how do you feel about Twitter I uh, I love Twitter I yeah. probably need to be better with my Twitter because I overshare on Twitter so much yeah. <laughs> I need to I need to maybe stop that it's sometimes it's a time suck for me that's yeah, the thing yeah. but I I like Twitter because it's I feel like it's I don't want to say it's necessary as a writer, but mm. I would not find out about publication things, yeah. prizes, all those sorts yeah. of... I wouldn't really know about those things if yeah. I wasn't on Twitter. And yeah. I'm signed up to every every yeah. mailing list ever, mm-hmm. so I have access to all of that. But mm. it's even just, you know, someone, a friend of mine will post a poem and it's like, mm. oh, I wouldn't have read this otherwise. Mm-hmm. And and all the people I can call my friends, like yeah. even, even people in Australia who I wouldn't yeah. have like been able to connect with if I yeah. hadn't been able to do so on Twitter totally. like and I've been really yeah. lucky in that I've done a few festivals now so I've gotten mm. to meet people in real life but it's yeah. still Twitter feels like the main yeah it's almost more corporeal for me in a way yeah. it's like that I know we're sitting here talking yeah, right yeah, now yeah, yeah. but it's kind of like I I know yeah. you from your you know little Twitter yeah. avatar and yeah. like that's how that's my yeah that's how you're conceived in my brain now, yeah. Yeah. Like. it's so fun. yeah and I'm so like cynical about the democratize like the democratizing potential of the internet and mm-hmm. all of these things because all of the problems of the world <laughs> exist also on the internet totally. which is a part of the world yeah so and Twitter can be such a like nasty space. Such like we've a just already yeah. seen over the last few days there's been some like <laughs> subtweeting and bullying things happening. Um, yes. which we probably shouldn't talk about explicitly just yeah. so as not to date this conversation. <laughs> but um yeah, 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 so it's also but yeah. even seeing how people rally and yeah, our time been really nice. Well, yeah, yeah, has been really yeah. good and yeah. I think Twitter gives um, a space and opportunity for mm. conversations to happen that may not happen yeah. otherwise and of course there's going to be negatives associated mm. with that as yeah. well but um, yeah I don't know I'm just I'm grateful for it and Same. I'm grateful that I got to 
meet people and mm. that I get to see people's work. That's the thing. Yeah. Like I find yeah. it really, I have a lot of journal subscriptions now, which I'm really grateful yeah. for because I love getting them in the post. Oh, same. But um, <laughs> it's, oh, it's so just good. the best. It's so good. And I like, I have library access as well. I'm really mm. lucky to have that. So I get to, you know, read a lot of the work that's out. But mm. so many of the writers I really respect and admire aren't being published in those platforms mm. like they're doing yeah. things online on smaller yeah. presses and yes. I like being able to be aware of and access yeah. that work and I don't think I would you know have it as readily available if it wasn't through Twitter yeah. like it's really yeah difficult yeah. <laughs> to kind of keep up with everything otherwise mm. or, or even people who just post things like you know link to a twine game that they've made and that's mm. really yeah so I wouldn't I <laughs> I spend too much time on it. Um, yes. <laughs> I need to stop oversharing, but I would not give it up. I just think it's great. <laughs> yeah, same, same. Um, so I think I read this on Twitter. So I wanted mm-hmm. to... <laughs> speaking of oversharing. Um, uh, okay, so yes. I want to ask you about who are some of your favourite poets. Mm-hmm. Um, but... <laughs> I just remembered this, and I think that you had a dream where you embarrassed yourself in front of Anne Carson. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just love that. That is very relatable yeah. content. <laughs> I don't remember what I did in the dream. Yeah. I just remember how I felt, and it was really, really awful. I just can't, like, like that is such a relatable, like, stress dream slash nightmare scenario of, like, oh, my God, Anne Carson. Yeah. I, I love Anne Carson yes. as a writer. I love how she works over all these different, like, she just plonks an essay in the middle I know. of yeah, a, I of love a poetry collection yeah. and doing finger quotations at the <laughs> moment. Um, I love it. Mm-hmm. I just love how she has such a strong handle on mm. all the different works that she does. I think it was yeah. Anne Carson who said she has, like, two desks and one is her, like, Wow. academic maybe translation sort of desk and the other is her creative writing desk and I just wow. oh isn't that great that. Yeah. yeah but I yeah I just I love that she you know has all these really meaty mm. kind of lines but then also has like really other really other things like mm. I'm a philosopher of sandwiches and stuff and I just yeah yeah she yeah I just yeah. really respect and admire her. Margaret Atwood is probably mm-hmm. my favorite writer of all time. Just, Amazing. and I I actually like her more as a poet than mm. I love her fiction. Yeah, but um, she wrote the Circe Mud poems, which mm. are just some of my favorite things I've ever read. And that, what's it called? Instructions on falling asleep? No, there's a poem where I think the last stanza is something like um. I want to be that breath that inhabits you for only a moment. I want to be that important and that insignificant or something. Mm. I'm getting it wrong, mm-hmm. which is horrible, but it's just, mm. yeah, I love her work. And I love the viscerality of her work as well, especially her earlier poetry. Mm. Um, yeah. I really like The Door as well, which I think was her last poetry collection. But, mm. yeah, she's really special. Richard Seekin mm-hmm. is one of my favourite poets too. I'm listing a lot of Americans, but I think I... I kind of came into poetry through Tumblr. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, That was yeah. how, yeah. Yeah. So I hadn't really, like, I wrote poetry in high school. It was all really bad. But all the poetry I read <laughs> was kind of on Tumblr. So I read yeah. a lot of um, 
Clementine von Radix and yeah. those sorts of authors that didn't really mm. get the same notoriety that Langliev and um, mm. Ruby Core mm-hmm. have gotten. But yeah. yeah, I just really, I just love yeah. Tumblr poetry. It was I a know. really like great time. Lots of people doing <laughs> really interesting work. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I have yeah fond memories of Tumblr. Sometimes I feel like. I use Twitter a bit too much like I used <laughs> yeah, Tumblr. Yeah, that's like, the thing because yeah. I don't use Tumblr anymore just after yeah. they had all those yeah, Tumblr's issues. Yeah, kind of a yeah. bit of a ghost town now. Mm-hmm. Speaking of hauntings. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, Tumblr lives on yeah. in, in Twitter feelings. Yeah, I hadn't thought about it that way, but mm. you're exactly right. Mm. I think I'm using it the same Yeah, the same way. <laughs> I need to stop. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that'll be like a like a cliche for millennials like that millennials use like maybe going forward all platforms will just be tumblr for us Mm because it was our defining platform it's just the best platform as well Mm. it's just really really good Mm. tagging system is good it's just uh hate Mm. twitter i hate twitter i love twitter (laughs) i wouldn't give it up for anything i just wish i had a tagging system Mm -hmm. that's my thing i hate having to mute lots of like Mm. weird phrases Mm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so much poetry on Twitter. Yeah. So good. Oh, it's yeah. really good. Yeah, and a lot of American stuff, which I love. Yeah. Um I lo- like mm. Ocean Vuong and mm. Rani Choi and oh yeah. it's just it's really, really great. Yeah. And I I guess with Australian work, like mm. it's I kind of really like all my friends. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. the issue. Like, yeah, Rory Green, Tegan mm-hmm. Webb, uh, Zenobia Frost, mm-hmm. uh, um, Rebecca Jessen. Mm-hmm. Just Queensland is. I'm, I just love Queensland. Yeah, there's what's so many, going on here? Oh, there's just so many good poets here. It's the best. <laughs> yeah, I just love it. I'm so yeah. happy I get to live here and talk to yeah. people. Like Ray White. Yeah. Oh my God, just. Yeah the work that they're doing right now and they made a game with mm-hmm. their partner which is just the coolest thing wow like i so oh cool. it's just it's really exciting it's so cool yeah i don't know i feel mm. like i'm just gonna list all my friends you know that's <laughs> what I mean, for me. yeah. but um yeah it's mm. really exciting like there's lots of people doing really exciting work Mm. here and I mean obviously everywhere but Mm. I live here so Mm. yeah there is uh I mean I've always thought of Brisbane as such a vibrant poetry place I think UQ Press which is your press is so like every time there's a new book I'm just like yes what's that like I know it's gonna be great Mm -hmm. so oh Emma Saker's new book oh Oh, my god God. (laughs) yeah I kept I feel like I was like <laughs> pushing that book so hard yeah. during this semester to my students. I like just included so many poems, like just as an aside, like in my in my lectures. I even like had a screenshot of one of his tweets. Yeah. Like, I was like, yeah, and this relates to look at this tweet. It's, it's like, just oh, he's yeah. just great. Mm-hmm. And I had I accidentally ended up with two copies because I oh, bought one and then yeah. UQP sent me one as oh, well, nice. which was really nice of them. Yeah. And then I thought, oh, I'll give this to a friend, which I'm still meaning to do. But mm-hmm. now I have one at uni and one at home. Oh, amazing! So I can just, <laughs> I'm just never without. It's yeah. just the best thing. And, yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to think of what the Anne Carson analogue would be, like your the Los Angeles yeah. like at home and the Los Angeles yeah. at work. Like, what it's are the just, different purposes? 
Oh, it's always mm. therapy, isn't it? It's just joy. <laughs> no, it's yeah. just I. Yeah, I um, I love these lot houses as well. But mm. just yeah, yeah, it's just really special. Mm. And yeah, it's nice mm. to. I like the cover as well. I know that's a really superficial no. thing, but it's a really good cover. Yeah. So it's, yeah, yeah. yeah I'm sure keen is. to see. I think I think UQP is doing a few more poetry collections a year like mm. expanding the list a little bit do not quote me on that I do not I do not know yeah. but I think they're releasing mm. maybe another one or two next year which is yeah. like that's the main I guess yeah. thing you always want the poetry list to be bigger <laughs> yes. um so that will be really yeah. exciting I'm really excited about um Rebecca Jessen's new book is coming out next year amazing which, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm just really looking forward to that yeah too. I feel like Beck and I are just eternally linked because Beck won the uh, st- our state library of Queensland has a young writers award mm-hmm. um, and she won that year and I got runner-up but I didn't get to <laughs> I didn't get to meet Beck on the yeah, day so yeah. I feel like I've just wanted to meet Beck for like for this long That's period amazing. of time and then I finally met Beck in yeah. 2016 it was just like oh this is so, the best so <laughs> yeah it's just it's really yeah. nice so yeah, yeah it's really yeah. good yeah and I feel like probably because of the internet poetry is so much more uh available to yeah. so many more people um and i'm glad that that seems to be having a runoff in presses having more time money you know publishing more poetry and i guess with rupee core and you know people who have been so um had such intense mm. like mainstream success mainstream I don't know that's I don't mean that condescendingly or anything but um yeah that like you know people are more and more coming to poetry as something that they can actually like it's not an aristocratic yeah thing maybe I think it's I think it's been inaccessible for a really long time and I think sometimes people are afraid of Mm. it as well and afraid to like get it wrong yeah like, they won't understand it exactly yeah. and it's kind of and that's why I feel really insistently about just mm. that question of mm. how does this make you feel yeah, which sounds exactly. so rudimentary but it's no. just like what experience yeah. is this giving you because yeah. it's like there's that classic you know therapist line that your feelings are always right right yeah, you know yeah, like yeah, yeah. you're feeling your feelings yeah the you know you're thinking maybe yeah, you may be really. overreacting a little bit to a situation but your yeah. feeling isn't wrong you know yeah, so yeah, it's, yeah. I feel the same way about poetry kind totally. of like that however you feel about it is not the wrong feeling and mm. that's why I really I hate doing the whole this poem is about because exactly whenever I come to a poem I bring my entire self to it I bring yeah. all the things I like and enjoy yeah. to it I bring Goro Majima with me yeah, to it you know yeah, yeah. and there's been so many poems that I read and I guess because yeah. I'm so heavily involved in the fan fiction <clears throat> fandom space <clears throat> um you know there are so many poems I read where I think oh this is such a Majima poem and yeah. I'll just add it to my little <laughs> like internal collection That's of Majima great. poems but it's yep. and I think it's fine to do that like yeah, bring me Bring your entire self to the poem mm. and just let it let it do its work. And I don't think every work is for everyone. Like yeah. I, yeah, you know, there are some yeah. poets who are really renowned and who my friends really love, and I just don't connect with it the same mm-hmm. way. And that's fine. It's just not for me. 
but totally there are lots of other poems yeah. so <laughs> totally <laughs> like, yeah yeah and yeah in a way that's another like resistance to universalism yeah like it doesn't yeah like truth and beauty or whatever are not universal that was yeah. a really great thing with um working with the medical students because mm. I they're all such obviously like high achieving clever yeah. people yeah yeah <laughs> and after you know we got to a certain point where I'd been throwing poems at them for a while mm. and I showed them an Anne Carson poem, uh, Wolf Town, which mm. is a really interesting poem and I suggest you look it up because it's mm. fascinating. And it was so gratifying to hear students say, I don't like that. <laughs> like, yeah. It was really, I love when someone can just like mm-hmm. look at a poem and say, I don't like that. Yeah. And then kind of go into why, like yeah. what is it? Totally. Like, I think that's as interesting as, yeah. you know, really liking a poem. And totally. I'm, I'm very open if anyone wants to tell me <laughs> why they don't like my poems. I'm just, yeah. I would be really keen to hear about that because yeah. I think it's so interesting. And yeah. it's something I have such difficulty putting into words, yeah. like why I don't like something. And often mm. it's a feeling thing for me. Like mm-hmm. this isn't, you know, something isn't clicking here mm. in the correct it's not fitting in in the right way it should so yeah, yeah it's yeah. really it's really really interesting i yeah. just i love seeing people's reactions to things and yeah totally. yeah and honest reactions that's yeah. the most important thing like I'm, yeah yeah obviously i'm really glad that yeah. my book has done relatively well for a poetry collection mm-hmm. has sold a good amount of copies mm-hmm. but gone into reprinting quite yeah oh yeah it's the best so i think we're at like 1200 copies printed now i just wanted to get through the first print Mm -hmm. run that was my only thing like Mm -hmm. i just wanted to Mm. get through the first one so i'm really like i'm really happy i assume that it's not selling anymore oh my uh, my brother works (laughs) in a bookshop and he keeps upselling my collection Ah, so good (laughs) so thank you my brother for for any of my sales that are occurring now but um yeah which is like really I think that's good for a poetry collection. I'm yeah. not entirely sure. I hope so. But yeah, I have yeah. no idea about the metrics yeah. of that, but that's yeah. amazing. I'm just yeah, congratulations. Unhappy. Oh, thank you. Um, but, um, I loved your dedication to your parents and yeah, your mother to yeah. say, I promise, none <laughs> yes. of these poems are about you. It felt really necessary because mm-hmm. there are just so many weird brother poems in there as well. And it's like, yeah. my brother is actually a lovely person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And your mum doesn't. Random, take you on a weird road trip yeah. in the middle of the night to randomly dispose of suspicious no. garbage bags full of something. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. just, they're all fine. Let the record yes. say. <laughs> they're, all, they're all fine and good. Yes. And everything is fine. And yeah. nothing weird is going on in our home. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds so suspicious. <laughs> but, um, I, I, I um, think... I've taken like so much of your time and I really appreciate it. Um, No, thank you for talking with me. Would you like to, is there anything that you would like to say that I haven't asked you about or would you like to read a specific poem or? Mm. I don't know. Otherwise I can just totally let you off the hook and delete this part. (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. Maybe... Can I read Baby Tooth Survey? Yes. Yeah. That's not, it's not a super new poem, but it's uh, one of the, thank you, <laughs> the newer ones that I've written. And it's about um, 
<laughs> I'm doing the thing. It's about something. <laughs> Tell me, what's the um, secret of the poem? Uh, That's who tweeted about that. Maybe it was Chen Chen recently said something like, don't treat a poem as a riddle. Yeah. Like, it's not a riddle to solve. Like, this is... Yeah. And I think there'll be... I think my poems in particular have a lot of intertexts. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which, oh, I don't know. I, I always yeah. call my poems AUs, like, alternate universe. I, I like... That, yeah. I use fanfic terms a lot. Yeah. But I... Like, I don't think you need all those things because yeah. you'll bring your own intertexts to any work totally. you read. Totally. Yeah. And also knowing those intertextual, like, following those threads just makes it more complex. Yeah. It doesn't actually make you arrive at a final meaning. Exactly. Me- meaning. It's just going to send you off in all different directions. Yeah. Which is great. There's that beautiful, um, there was a hypertext version of, I think, T.S. Eliot's, Maybe maybe it was Proof Rock or maybe mm. it was The Wasteland. I'm not mm. sure which text. But there was, um, yeah, there was a version that had all these links out to, right. you know, things that Elliot was referring to. And I yeah. loved it. Like, yeah, because you, yeah. you had the option to yeah. go out of the poem and yeah. look for it. Or you could just stay with it. And yeah. I, I'm the sort of person who will normally yeah. do a read through and yeah. then kind of then mm. go out and see, oh, that's interesting. And that's, yeah. yeah so I... I don't know, I, and I like to kind of have a title that maybe refers to something else, and mm-hmm. then it's, for me, it's up to the reader if they want to Google it. So if you Google Baby Tooth Survey, you might find this poem, but you might also find the Wikipedia article about this actual Baby Tooth Survey that happened in oh, the wow. US. Yeah, and this was in the 60s when they were doing atmospheric nuclear testing um in america yeah and these this group of scientists asked children to send in their baby teeth instead of putting it under their pillow for the tooth fairy and you get a little badge that was like i sent my tooth to the baby tooth survey um yeah and they found out that um it was the cesium in the atmosphere from the bombs uh the structure i don't i don't actually know anything mm, about science mm-hmm. i'm sorry but the structure is poetry kind podcast of, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like it's very similar to calcium mm. so it's um they actually refer to cesium i think as a bone seeker and because it is it's structurally very similar to calcium the teeth were just absorbing it right especially in children wow. who are growing yeah. creatures like the bones are just taking that material in instead of the calcium mm. um so the results of that study ended up stopping you know atmospheric testing in america so that's the baby tooth survey wow that's what this poem is about but it's also not kind of really what it's about but it's sort also of, for... yeah yeah for <laughs> my, yeah for my friend Jeannie. um because i think i feel like i gave this poem four sections because Jeannie's favorite number is four but maybe maybe this will air and that's they'll okay. be like no that's <laughs> what you are wrong about? <laughs> <laughs> but there are four different types of teeth like that was the thing molars oh, wow another kind i don't know anything about science i'm so sorry i learn an anatomy fact and then uh-huh. as soon as i put it in a poem my like, brain is just like okay yeah we are done with that now yeah. um it's like the backup hard drive yeah it's in the poem it's yeah. it's just there it's, mm-hmm. sorry not in my brain anymore um yeah i don't know i guess there's a lot of wordplay in this that i was really happy with yeah yeah i'll just read it i'll Great. just read it baby tooth survey for Jeannie maxwell one They age us by our fall teeth. We were born long after the fissure. 
hairline lilt of sea lichen, a mouth full of benthic Parnassus. Our bicuspid said the shoreline, though sheltered, was not enough to keep us clean. Two, millstone in marrow, sponge soft, cumbers to sarcoma, its half-life exceeds our expectancy. Bone seeker, you never told me exactly what science took from us. Three, someone strips dental consonants from our first language. Someone culls our syntax to extinction. We cut eye teeth on dead coral, amanita gills. Your slide of tongue trips, treads, empty alcove of my speech. Four, your name incised in wrist of deciduous reef. This is where they buried them, once traded. Twice traded, they will turn to gold. This is where your bones lay against my bones. So good. Oh, thank so you. <sighs> thank you for letting me read it. Thank you for doing this interview. I really appreciate it. And it's so good to hear more about what you're working on. And I'm so excited for for the next book. Oh, thank However you. However many years in the future. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting thing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's haunting the future. It is, yeah. Mm. It is haunting the future. Mm. Haunting me. I don't know. We'll yeah. see. Yeah. yeah, books are a very anxious thing. Mm. There's that second book, Anxiety, I think. But it's more, it's not that for me. I think it's mm. just wanting to demonstrate growth. I want to mm-hmm. have grown mm-hmm. <laughs> as a writer and mm-hmm. done some new things before I put anything else out. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you, dear listener, for making it to the end of this episode. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Shastra Dio. If you did, it would mean the world to me if you shared this episode with someone. IRL or URL on social media. Speaking of social media, you can follow this podcast on Twitter at HelloPoetPod. And as we mentioned in this conversation, both Shastra and I are on Twitter. You can find Shastra at Shastra Dio and I at Terry and QS. All poems read in this episode are available online, so head to shastradio.com to find links to all of those poems in Mascara, Peril, Terse and Ibis House. And there will also be links to these poems in the show notes. You can grab a copy of The Agonist from the publisher, UQ Press, or find it at your local independent bookstore. And if you enjoy this podcast, it helps others to find it if you rate and review it on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Okay, you've listened to podcasts before, you know how this works. So I'm going to end this episode here. Thanks so much again for listening to this first episode of Hallowed Poet. Mm-hmm.